Chats from the Blog Cabin. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one one podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I virtually invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting with author and so many other titles I can actually go with you, Meg, (laughs) of um, Butterfly Awakens, a memoir of transformation through grief. And we're going to talk about empowerment, grief, spirituality, and using travel as a device to get through the grief of losing your best friend, your mother. So, Mm -hmm. Meg, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself before we get into all those really deep topics that you write about. Well, first of all, I love a good movie and your preview is awesome. So I was like getting into it already. So thank you so much for that. That was wonderful. Um, so who am I? I, um, I'd like to say, what am I reading nowadays? And I like that bent because at this point in my life, I'm a huge lover of storytellers and their stories. But as far as my past life is concerned, I was a federal former prosecutor for a former federal prosecutor for almost 20 years. Um, And then, you know, at that point, I was like, when my mother passed away, I was, this is not where I want to be. This is not how I want my life to continue to go. I, there were so many creative avenues calling to me that I thought that if I stayed where I was, I would never have the opportunity to see what I'm made of, who I am and what my purpose is. So I felt that bray of my heart calling to me to jump out and to start the writing journey as an author. But I have to tell you, I love my backstory because it really touches upon everything that I'm passionate about and that I've got to peruse. And thank God, I'm I'm very lucky. My family valued education from the beginning. So, you know, wherever it had the education, obviously obviously the work hard ethic Mm -hmm. that wasn't lost on me. I come from a Italian American family and you know, they, they, my parents are second generation. So their, their parents were very much imploring upon them that the only way you can raise up in this world is if you educate yourself, whether that's formally or with the curiosity of the world around you. So that was literally, you know, inbred in me growing up that there is no reason why you can't go out into the world and figure out what you love by learning about what's available. And one of the things that I, I was in, Fatuated with were languages, breaking down those barriers between me and other cultures so I could speak to people, mm-hmm. not just in English, but I speak Spanish, I speak Italian, I speak some French still. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little rusty on that. And, you know, I understand the romance languages really. So that has become something that I'm really excited and proud about because when I get to meet new people and if they speak another language, I can, I can jump in and I can, you know, with the hands flailing and everything, I can, (laughs) I can try to break those (laughs) barriers. So, but that turned to a desire to um, really understand cultures. And I got my master's in uh, international security and conflict and inter-American studies. That's that brought me to Miami. I live in Miami now. And then after I finished that, I wanted to go into the foreign service, but I felt, you know, in many respects that, you know, I had a dog and I'm a dog lover and animal lover. Mm -hmm. And and my understanding was that he could not come with me wherever I were to go. So I don't leave my animal family behind my little Mm -hmm. Alfredo Luigi, a really good Italian name. Right. 
he and I decided to go to law school. So that ended up on that path towards getting my degree um, from uh, St. Thomas University here in Miami as well. And and then after that, I, I found my way into the Department of Homeland Security. It was INS at the time, Immigration and Naturalization Service. But it's interesting because I always tapped into that actor side of myself. You know, being a litigator really is mm -hmm. that role. And at the end of my 20 years, I looked back and said, I, I played the greatest role of my life for 20 years, you know? <laughs> So, you know, studying human nature, humankind, why people do things that they do, you know, there's a lot of criminal elements involved with some of the cases and a lot of people coming to this country seeking a better life. And, and you know, it was just so interesting to see why people do the things they do. So subsequent to leaving, I got what the beginning of a master's in positive psychology. I went through the Happiness Studies Academy and, you know, it was really a study on human beings and what they really want out of life and how do we get to that ultimate state of bliss or happiness so it's been quite a journey and you know i i love the sign behind you let all that you do be done in love and i feel like when i start from that place mm -hmm. the love the passion the alignment with purpose then i can never go wrong that is so true and i want to touch on something that i think both you and i have in common I didn't really go full time into blogging. Blogging ended up leading into chats in the blog cabin and so forth and so on until my dad died. So I think that turning point, when you lose a parent, yeah. that whole turning point, it just makes you reevaluate your life. Yeah, no, I, I, first of all, I love the fact that it's chats from the blog cabin because it feels very conversational as if we have a fire in front of us, you know, kicking back mm -hmm. and rocking on our chairs together, you know, just talking about life and engaging in that, you know, from a place of what commonalities, of course, you're, you're telling me your father passed away. Yes, my mother passed away. And when she did, it was really a reevaluation of what I wanted to do in this world and how I wanted to show up and who I was becoming and whether or not it aligned to my passion and purpose. And, you know, the loss was intense for me. And I imagine since you're still talking about it and that at least shifted your life to transform mm -hmm. into doing something like this, you know, it really was something that dictated where my next path would go because I lost my mentor, my, my, my guide, my mm -hmm. champion, and, and I had to find my way alone. And, you know, I love how I can at this point in my life, look back and say, you're never alone. Like there's always, you know, either mm -hmm. earth angels or angels from beyond watching over you. So I really find great comfort in that. Thank you, God. <laughs> you know, the, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm never walking this path alone. And I always look toward it's, it's Mary Oliver quote. I, I love it's living a conscious life. It's pay attention, be astonished and tell all about it, which is really something that you do on your blog cabin. Pay attention to who shows up as your guest. Mm -hmm. You know, be astonished. Look for the commonalities, those synchronicities and then tell all about it. You know, join with other people, the audience and try to inspire them to start telling their stories as well, which is really exciting to come alive to the beauty of all of our dreams. So that mm -hmm. is what gets me going. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you can tell that your mom was you said was your best friend. So how long ago did you lose your mom? So she passed away in 2011. It was it's going to be 11 years in 2022 and it's really quite it's really quite uh, uh, you know unbelievable that she's been gone so long. You know, when I, when I say she was my best friend, I I'm grateful because growing up, it was not that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if anyone can really say that their parents are their best friend growing up because you're like really rebelling against anything that they say and you're trying to do your thing and showing up as you and they're trying to control, hoping 
dear God, keep their, you know, this, this you know, angel on their shoulder watching over them so they don't do like hurt themselves or God forbid, you know, anything worse. I can say this, you know, the gift my mother gave me as an adult was first the ability to carve my own path. And then the second was to show up in a different space where, you know, I guess she'll never as a parent and I have two kids, you'll never like shed the whole, don't disappoint me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Don't do those things that I know, you know, are bad and not so great and all, you know, but she allowed me to make my own mistakes. And with that, she also shared with me her mistakes and, you know, the great apology. Like she said to me, if there's any way that I failed you growing up, you know, I apologize, which you know, there's something beautiful in seeing the humanity of your parents. <laughs> I, I, you know, I certainly, you know, hold my parents on a pedestal, but when they become human and we see that they are with the same fears and the same concerns and the same, you know, it changes the way you see them and the gratitude really comes through um, for, for whatever it is that they gave you to begin your journey. And, and since it's in November, it's the month of gratitude for me. I, I certainly will shout out to all those mentors and those guides, in addition to my mom who showed up on my path and really gave me that mentoring and support because we are where we are, not ever mm-hmm. alone. <laughs> we definitely have a lot of people pouring in their wisdom to us. And I'm grateful for the people who took me aside and became certainly mentors toward me. That's awesome. I, I, I can't tell them enough how grateful I am. So how did your relationship with your mom help you to become a better parent? Because you just mentioned you had two kids. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting because I swore growing up that I would never do the things that my parents would do. And then I find myself as an adult doing exactly what my parents did. So it's like, oh my God, the haunting, right? It's coming Mm -hmm. full circle. And you know, the real reality is, is that we all do our best, right? I really have a lot of, a lot more compassion for them. And, uh, you know, nobody gives you a book when you have a kid, Mm -hmm. they just hand you the baby and say, good luck to you. And, you know, hopefully you're excited about starting on that process. It was your choice to have a child, to bring them into this world and that you would want to give them a whole bunch of love. But man, baby boot camp is tough. <laughs> the The middle school years are tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, certainly I was bullied as a middle schooler. So I'm sure mm-hmm. that broke my mother's heart. And, and for my kids, the same thing happened, you know, in many ways. But for the, the difference is that I was able to become a lawyer and there's no way nobody is going to push my kids around mm-hmm. without me actually using my voice and speaking up. But I learned from my own experience so that I can move forward. So back to your point with regard to what do you learn from your your parents? There are so many things that I absolutely love that are legacy from the way I was raised. Certainly, uh, we love to go to the movies. I found a partner, my husband loved to go to the movies. We love stories. We love to read. We love the arts. We love the music. So exposing my kids to as many things as I can financially or time-wise do was really important for me. And because I valued what we experienced with my family, my mom and my dad, um, you know, a faith was very important to my family as well. My mother, up until the very end, really, really relied on her faith to pull her through her cancer diagnosis and to walk that very scary journey of uncertainty as to what was going to happen. And, you know, that great unknown, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to the end of your time here. 
And, uh, you know, I saw her humanity, but as well, I saw how she clutched on to a strong faith. And uh, for me, you know, when, when you have those moments of that dark night of the soul and you know those examples before you that unfold, you know, eventually you'll get back to your foundationals. But the reality is, is you've got to find your own way. And I think my mother really, really encouraged her girls because I'm one of three daughters to mm. be really independent, to really, really value that internal gifts that you, those internal gifts that you have and to show up in the world without apologizing to anyone using your voice because she was my mother, a force of nature. So I emulate that moving forward. <laughs> I love that. We have to take a brief commercial break. When we come back, I want to talk about, you know, when your mom got the cancer diagnosis and and how you had you just mentioned something about her, her humanity. Talk about mm -hmm. how it totally changed the way you actually kind of, you know, she came off the pedestal a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So brief commercial break. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Homeschooling just got easier and deliciously fun. My new book, Dishing Up Devotions, 36 Faith-Building Activities for Homeschooling Families is a delightful devotional the whole family will love. With encouragement for mom, fun family activities, conversation starters, and simple baking recipes. It's sure to feed your family's faith while building lasting memories in just minutes a week. And we are back talking with Meg. Meg, before we went to the commercial, you talked about, you know, seeing your mom getting the cancer diagnosis, seeing her humanity, because honestly, when you see someone that's larger than life, my dad was larger than mm -hmm. life character. And then you see something like cancer. And that's another similarity is he had cancer as well. Um, just strike them down. Somebody that was so vibrant and full of life. And now all of a sudden they're even struggling to even get up and walk. Mm, let's God. talk about let's talk about you know humanity and how as children of of parents that are going through this how we can cope how we can survive so i am very grateful that my family my sisters and her sisters and her siblings her brother and my father everybody showed up for her and especially toward the end, everybody took a, when, when it was really bad and, and you know what I'm speaking to, you know, the, the end stage of cancer is really something to behold. I, if you, if you've got, like, I, I will say this, if you haven't gone through that, you're very lucky. Mm -hmm. I think going through that and watching someone you love suffer the end stage of cancer is really, really heartbreaking. And one of the things that really, um, kept me going was I asked my mom, you know, do you want to fight? Do you want to fight? Do you want? So she was, I, I don't want to give into this. I want to fight. 
And one of the beautiful things is I, I was pregnant with my daughter when she found out she um, had cancer and I found out over the phone and it really knocked me to my knees. It was like that C word that you never want to hear mm -hmm. from someone that you love. And the reality is, as I said, well, I go straight to my, my superpower, like, okay, we got this, you know, after I picked myself up from, you know, that devastating news and the anger I had toward God, because I did have anger toward <laughs> God, like, why her, you know, why her? She was so generous and she was yeah. so loving and she was such a good person. She was only 67 when she passed away. And that had been like, I will say two years earlier. So 65 when she got the diagnosis, which is, is relatively young these days. And, and once I picked myself off the ground, I was like, okay, we're going, you know, we're going to, we're going to be by your side. We're going to show up for you. Like you have showed up for us so many years. And we're going to keep your mind. I, that's all I did. I was, I'm not a doctor. I never even proposed to be one. But one of the things that I'm fascinated with is the mind, body, spirit impact. So I, I had a lot of tools in my, you know, my tool shed that I could bring to the fore to try to keep her spirits high. And, you know, even going through something and ultimately that, that, that did in fact was the ended in her, the end of her life, you know, those moments still that we live are so precious and that you make the most of them and you enjoy each other and don't live mm -hmm. as if she's already dead. You know, that was really important for me to actually never, like never inseminate her mind with this is the end. Okay. Mm -hmm. We never know when is the end. Nobody knows when is the end. You could get a cancer diagnosis and you could beat it and you have years left to live. You know, it, it's really the human spirit that is huge. So back to, going through it and anyone who's listening, who's experiencing this right now, it's really exhausting for the caregivers. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think in many respects, you kind of rely on that love and it kind of love fuels you. And then the people who show up who loved that person as well, you know, it kind of fuels you. But what I really want to share is that you're not going through that alone as long as you ask for help. And I think many ways, mm -hmm. a lot of my friends showed up for me going through it. And they knew that even after she passed, that's when the real challenge mm -hmm. was going to begin. And, you know, you start processing what just happened to you because going through it, the adrenaline is there. You're ready to show up. And you're going to be by their side. And you're going to show up for them and you put your all your other stuff away. And I was traveling back and forth from Miami to Orlando a lot and, and a lot of sacrifices. My had my daughter was only two at the time and you know my son was eight. So they were little, they weren't old and my husband had to stand up and, and do more on this end. So I could be there for my mother and my sisters could be there as well. My one sister lived in Orlando and my other sister was in Coral Springs. She is a doctor. So she was doing what she could, you know, as well. But as a lawyer, I mean, what am I gonna do as far mm -hmm. as medicine? I was like, I can't help her in any way other than be there as she was a rock for me. So, you know, one of the things that was really challenging was because I relied on her so much that when she was gone and I initially felt like the physical presence, that's it. That was kind of like <laughs> that sustenance that sustained me, you know, that life spirit was gone or so I thought it was. And uh, I felt like, why am I here anymore? How could I stay mm -hmm. here in this world? and experience joy, laughter, love still 
knowing that, you know, that experience with her, which I really, really enjoyed more than anything would be gone. I called her every morning. I mean, I called her every morning without fail. Okay, have a great day. There is something really fascinating and beautiful about starting your day with that positive uplifting call or someone saying, you know, wonderful things to you and sending you out into the world. Mm -hmm. It changes your whole dynamic or demeanor. And, you know, one of the things I would say to somebody who's, you know, you really still have to, you know, you still have to focus on your self-care, you know, so that you don't get so depleted that in the end, you're so exhausted that you're like, where do I begin? And you don't even have the energy to figure that out. So that is, that is definitely uh, something I would suggest. Clearly my life is my life and you walk your own path. And if it doesn't resonate with you, then move on, find something else. But, you know, I really was in a dark night of the soul. I really did not want to continue. And honestly, my body, my nervous system was shot. I was having anxiety attacks and I really needed help other than what I could give myself. So, you know, I do encourage people to reach out if you're in a spot where you're feeling depressed and, and lonely, or, you know, even after COVID this last couple of years, you know, it, it, it's a whole new experience that nobody really has ever experienced before. And, the, the fact of the matter is that we don't have to go this go through this alone. I, you know, you have shows like your show, reaching out to Melissa, you know, shows and people all around who've experienced it, who are willing and ready to to hold your hand and bring you along and not leave you behind, which, you know, is something that I did experience, albeit I'm stubborn too. You know, I wanted to like just sit in my closet and cry for, for days mm -hmm. on end, but I had a job. I had to go to my job still and I had my kids and you know, there was a point in time where I had to take a six week leave of absence because it was too much. It was overwhelming. And I think that you can't run from grief. It'll catch mm -hmm. up to you. <laughs> yeah, you're smiling. It will catch up to you. So with that in mind, you know, that self-care component really does come flailing through because unless you, you know, put the oxygen on you, you can't help anybody else. And and that, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities we have as adults. And that's one thing I certainly, you know, see now having a family and having my own life that my, I didn't have any compassion for as, you know, a child in my house or even a young adult, because I could just, mm -hmm. you know, my path was my own. I had nobody else to speak for and I could do what I wanted. So, you know, I have a lot of um, gratitude once again for my parents and for the, the gifts they've given me over time so that I can do the best job I can do for my own family and for my friends and for the people I love. So let's talk about how you channeled all that grief into your book, Butterfly Awakens, because in your, in this book, you set out searching for a lighthouse that you saw in a vision when your mom died. So let's yeah. talk about how you were able to just write it. Well, I'll tell you this, when I shared that chapter, it was it was the hardest chapter I had to write. I when I when I was by her bedside and and I was thinking, okay, I'm an attorney and I'm gonna share that I had a vision when my mother passed away to the world and people are gonna think I'm crazy. But at that point when I was at the page, let's say, when you're sitting with the page and you're like, Well, you know, this could happen to so many people or it might not, but my experience, I wanted to share it to the point where someone sitting where I was, you would have the understanding that they are not, 
you know, this is not a unique experience to yourself. This could be happening to anybody. And I wanted to share my experience. So anyone who is going through the dark night as well, I could help them and give them hope that they could walk through. So, you know, at my mother's bedside, it was, it was, you know, I never had an experience like this before where I was, I was praying by her side. I really truly believed that she was going to rally and come back to us. And, and she was in a, I guess, a, a medically induced coma. And I was praying and I had this vision with my eyes closed, obviously, of, of this beautiful lighthouse. And it was the strangest looking lighthouse. And then all around it was the bluest sky, like what the color is on your screen right now with mm -hmm. my name on it. It was this beautiful blue sky. And all of a sudden, I felt a flash of white light. It would have blinded me. It felt like that. And I heard her say to me, let me go. And I was mm -hmm. just like, I just stopped. I just stopped. And I was like, oh my God, she's going. This is happening. And it was really surreal and at the same time shocking <laughs> because I really believed she was going to have a miracle of her own and come back to us. So I opened my eyes and I, and I said, I, I think she's going. I think she's leaving us. And she passed away. And of course, I'm the drama girl in me goes, you know, I was like, you know, we're sitting around her, we're saying all the beautiful things that we remember about her. My father, I just couldn't look at him. You know, I felt like, oh my God, this man, his best friend, his best friend, mm -hmm. that was his best friend. That is his partner. She's my mother and she, I love her, but that is the woman he chose nearly four, over 45 years before to walk a path in life. And he had to face life without her. And then my sister was there and I just felt like I looked at her and I saw myself and it was heartbreaking. It went back to that point, that word heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So that was the impetus behind the lighthouse. So of course the lighthouse stayed with me and I looked up this symbolism. And I was like, what does this mean? Why did I see a lighthouse? It can't be for not. There has to be some meaning to it. That's good. Maybe she was talking to me where she couldn't in words and images. So I, I went back and, and I looked up the imagery of the lighthouse and I wanted to find the lighthouse. I wanted to find what the, where I wanted to understand that. And interestingly, um, I happened upon the books of Paulo Coelho, who wrote the book, The Pilgrimage, which is all about El Camino. And at the end of El Camino is Finestere, and I found the lighthouse in Finestere. Wow. So talk about signs and symbols and, you know, you know, sharing that with the world and whether people believe that or not, or they think I'm making silly things up in my imagination. You know what? Illusion, albeit, is is persistent. That was the one that I chose. That reality is what I chose. So I decided I somehow was going to go on El Camino. I just didn't know how to do it. And mm -hmm. seven years later, it took seven years. I found myself walking with 17, all of us together in total, from Saria in Spain to Santiago. And then the last day we went to the lighthouse in Finestere. And I don't want to give it away because there was a message there waiting for me. And it was a powerful message for me. And I think it'll speak to everyone because I think this is other than love in life. And we've had that. This is what we all are seeking in the madness in the chaos. And I, I had a, an email today. Someone says, 
we all want to share the message of the mess. And I think Robin Roberts said that. And, and that is why I wrote Butterfly Awakens, because I promised God, because that is my higher power, I promised that if I walked through this and got out at the end to see that light at the end of the tunnel, the lighthouse, that I would share my story to give hope or to, that other people, if they keep walking, keep moving forward, that there will be transformation. You will come out the other end, a beautiful mm -hmm. butterfly to fly differently, have a different perspective and experience life in a different way. And that is my intention. It was written to the who I was when I was sitting in my closet crying after I lost my mother. And um, my hope is that it's now out in the world and people receive it with that intention in mind. And I'm a big manifester. I don't believe in anyone saying or naysaying your dreams. So mm -hmm. I think if God places a dream in your heart, <laughs> then he won't leave it there, you know, or she won't leave it there. You'll move forward in such a way that every step will take you closer to realizing it. So yeah, that is why I wrote Butterfly Awakens and the whole analogy of the metamorphosis of the butterfly. I brought that through in my book from the cocoon to the transformation gross that mess that we're talking about in the end mm -hmm. that part and then you know ultimately coming out at the other end you know more of you becoming yourself a butterfly so wow i mean just just talking about some of the things that you said um it kind of gave me chills because it's similar like for instance like when we knew my dad was passing he was in hospice and we knew when he was passing we knew when he was leaving because we honestly, my sister had passed away 20 some odd years oh. before that oh, wow. uh, from cancer as well. So there's oh, wow. two instances of cancer yeah. in our family. Um, but I just saw him, he, right before he passed, he reached up like, and we always oh. said it was my sister. Like they used to love oh. to go get ice cream together. And oh. it was like, she was maybe hand, cause his hand was like this, oh, like yeah. she was getting him an ice cream cone. And he just reached up like to grab it. And then he was gone and took his last breath. And it was just like, oh my goodness, you know, and it's, but it's hard when you're trying to help your surviving parent get through the loss of the love of their life, because my yeah. parents were married every 50 years. Oh, and wow. so they had known each other since my mom was 11 and my dad was 13. Wow. So they grew up together as well. So wow. trying that first year, it was more focusing on trying to get my mom through her grief and getting through the holidays because he died right before his birthday right before uh, the next anniversary right before her birthday right before valentine's day all that mess uh, that thanksgiving and, and christmas as well adding into it you know and all the major milestones of you know not seeing two of the grandchildren graduate i think they graduated that year from college another uh, one was graduating i mean all the milestones that they weren't he wasn't there for and he was larger than life, like I said. So it's yeah. kind of trying to get your surviving parent through all that year and you kind of stuff your grief down a little bit. So you've got to be strong for the other parent. Yeah. And after that first year rolls around and you survive that first year, it's almost like grief hits you like a Mack truck. And it's like, like a Mack truck. Boom. <laughs> and we unfortunately had a very unique circumstance because the cemetery where my dad was buried at, they hadn't opened up the new part yet. So he wasn't able to be buried yet in the new part. So they had to store him in a mausoleum. And then we had to go through the funeral service yet again. So we had to go through it twice. Oh, wow. Wow. We, we have a ritual um, that my family does 
when we come together in Orlando and my whole family, I have two sisters and they have kids and their families. And we go to her gravesite and we tell her what's happening. We just sit there and all mm -hmm. of us tell her what's going on. Like what we, you know, it's more symbol symbolic that we get to be together and we share that experience with her, you know, her, her obviously the symbolism of her being there with us. And it feels like, you know, it feels like a bit of a homecoming when we do that. It's kind of like a anchoring of my family. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I feel for you that, you know, moving, moving the body and moving it, it's, it's a tough, it's, you know, I, I, I want everyone to know that that process, you got to be so gentle with yourself. You mm -hmm. have to you know acknowledge if you're feeling disgruntled or angry, it might be because, you know, your emotions are overwhelming you and you're not really giving them an opportunity to be expressed. And you're just feeling like you need to be still and you don't have the option to be still. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of it just comes to a head and you start screaming at people, which, you know, happened at, in my mother's, you know, where when she passed away, it was screaming at everybody, <laughs> screaming mm -hmm. at the world, you know, screaming at, you know, what I wanted to have happen that didn't happen. I was angry and, and all the process of grief, you know, that's a, Kubler-Ross says, you know, the five stages of grief and you go through at so many random opportunities or stages, but what you were to your point, that first year, like mm. when the holidays hit, the birthdays hit, just, you know, stab me in the heart and twist the knife, mm -hmm. right? It's like, she should be here or he should be here to experience that. So one of the greatest shifts for me and it doesn't make up for the fact that there are times when I wish she was physically here so I could call her and tell her, you'll never believe I published a book or you'll never believe, you know, this wonderful thing happened. My daughter's an actor and she loves to sing and my mother would have loved to watch her. And my son went to college this last year and he's in Italy right now. So she would love that all of the kids getting into these universities and experiencing, she would have loved that. But what shifted for me was when I started writing because my first book is called The Magical Guide to Bliss. And one of my dear friends who saw that I was struggling, she gave me her time. She happened to be a therapist too. She gave me the time where I could just sit with her and just talk to her about my anger, about my desperation, about my depression. And she said at the end, the beautiful thing, and I think this goes back to the quote where Wayne Dyer says, you go from the now here to the nowhere. But the beautiful thing about the nowhere is that she's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So if I could have a sacred space where I could honor the everywhere and channel what guidance and wisdom she had maybe already given me, or that is present to me today, then maybe that will help me walk myself out of this grieving process. So I started writing and I did these insights of the day where I ended up with a magical guide to bliss. There are 366 insights of the day that took me on a journey from what am I doing to, oh my God, my dreams are coming alive. I see focus. I see intention. Mm -hmm. Like I said, November is the month of gratitude. In my book, November is the month of gratitude. So it guides me to make those choices in my life that empower me rather than deplete me. I wrote myself a guide and then published it and shared it with whoever needs it as well. And then basically the story about Butterfly Awakens is how I followed my own guide 
to show up in a different space, honoring those gifts, like I said at the outset, and those talents that we have, and honoring the life of the people who impact us, like my mother, and, and how you're doing with your father mm -hmm. and these cats. So you take them with you, and how you choose to live your life from this point on can be, you know, one of these greatest, you know, gifts back to the people who raised you. And then whatever you pay forward to the people who you contact with or, con you know, you cross paths with. Mm -hmm. Because I think keep it all to ourselves, not so good. You know, keep, share your talents, give your gifts to the world, be a part of the service, be a part of the process. There's so much beautiful things that this ripple effect can have beyond your wildest imagination if you start to be a little bit more vulnerable and reach out to others in such a way that you can be the love you want to see in this world. Yeah, I love that. Now, you mentioned something earlier, which kind of goes on with what you just said about you're a big manifester and you've actually got a YouTube channel yes. called Manifesting <laughs> with Meg. So let's talk about how that actually showed up. Was that before you wrote Butterfly Awakenings or yeah. before the, the other so book? This, so Manifesting with Meg, um, you know, I loved asking questions as a lawyer. <laughs> You know, I was a litigator and I felt like I still wanted to do that. I was good at it. I got people to tell me things that they probably didn't want to tell me, you know, on the stand. And I wanted to use that gift of, you know, being in conversation with people for the good to actually share with the world these extraordinary people that would be seemingly ordinary in their own minds at that, but they're not, they're incredibly extraordinary, share their stories with other people so that other people can perhaps get inspired and maybe adopt some of the tools that they used. And one of the things that I manifested in my life, and it was a wonderful experience, was I was on stage with Oprah Winfrey in 2014 in front of wow. 15,000 people in Miami, which was, every, like, everyone was leaving me on there. I was like, is that Meg? Is that Meg? <laughs> I love I, I like as probably the entire you know country and world you know oprah and the reality is is that she's a very intentional person you know manifesting the destiny of your dreams really using her show for all those years the same way to engage people in their pain and tell stories of how they overcame it or how they are living the life of their dreams. And, you know, for me, you know, I was really excited to be on that stage with her. And you'll have to read the book to get more details as to how it magically happened because it was quite surreal as well. But when she told me that it's time to live the life of my dreams, that's when I really started to believe I could publish a book, which was my magical guide. A year later, I published that. A year later, I started a Shine networking group. It's Shine, Spirit, Hope, Inside a networking event here in Miami where I brought people together to network and collaborate and to share their innovation and their creative ideas. We started a scholarship for young, innovative creatives in the area to support them. I was like, I wanted to keep that momentum that I felt because let me tell you, anyone who is in someone's presence where they own the beauty and the energy of possibility and you feel there's just i don't know when you like push your hands together you know there's like this energy field mm -hmm. that comes off your body i'm telling you i don't know when i left that stage with her people were like oh my god you were in her press they wanted to they wanted pictures with me and i was like okay that's 
not necessary. But the reality <laughs> was, you know, I was up there on the stage. I, I like I was waving to people. I was just having the greatest time of my life. And I wanted to be that. I wanted to take the baton and use it in a way where in my little corner of the world, I could impact and introduce my magical people to others. And you know, that's how I started manifesting with Meg. It was one show, the girl who was the woman who was a dear friend of mine, who was on stage with Oprah. She was my first guest. So we got to get together and we were talking and then I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of, you know, fell on myself as I, I learned the whole world of uh, Zoom and Facebook lives and chatting and blogging and all of that, you know, it, the, what they say, the, the, the experience of a lifetime is taking the first step, right? You got to walk mm -hmm. in the direction of your dreams and those first actions that really kind of shake you out of those fears that hold you back to move into the possibility that'll open up your world beyond your imagination. So, you know, I've had so many incredible experiences. I love the band Coldplay. And I was by virtue of my connection with Love Button Global Movement, which is a fantastic organization. And see, you're into love, definitely spreading love like a daffodil, a, I'm sorry, like a dandelion out into the world, one person at a time. And they're doing amazing things. And I connected with them and they invited me out to Chris Martin's house to hear a private concert. Yes. So wow. I'm sitting yeah, the week before I decided I was going to quit my job. I was sitting in the, you know, makeshift, you know, kind of a Mediterranean feel gala at Chris Martin's house in his tennis court, hearing him sing yellow, which was the song that I played over and over again in my closet as I was mourning my mother. So I, like I said, I pay attention to synchronicities mm -hmm. and you never know what's going to happen. So I'm sitting there. My husband was with me, a dear judge friend who's a dear friend of mine. She actually walked El Camino, was there too. And I looked at him, I go, I, I need to step out into this calling that I'm getting. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm very grateful, albeit it was terrifying, <laughs> exciting at the same time. But, you know, he he supported me and, and my family as well. So you know, we had our hits and misses, like sitter, you know, those obstacles mm -hmm. that come along the way. But the story's too good to keep to myself, you know. Mm -hmm. And I have people who tell me all the time, and they just mouth agape, right? Like, like, yeah. what did you do now, you know? And uh, Love Button sponsored my walk in El Camino. So while I was doing this torturous walk, I mean, to all you hikers out there, God bless you because. You uh, you are walking 77 miles in the matter of six days on this, this wow. Camino, and I wasn't prepared for it. I'll be honest. You know, I I literally pulled my back out three months beforehand, so I couldn't even get off the floor. So I was happy to be even sitting for walking, but I did it anyway because I planned it. And people showed up, and I wasn't going to let people down, and I wasn't going to let myself down. And these people with the love buttons passed out. You know, got me to the the lighthouse where I. I got my message. So, you know, and, and they always say when Camino, it means have a good walk or, you know, good way. We say the way, the, the way is the peace, the light, the dream, right? It doesn't really stop there. It begins after you come home. 
all of that you've gained, mm -hmm. all of the wisdom you've earned, because it's hard to earn, all of the mourning you've been through, all the honoring of the lives that touch your life, all the gratitude that comes through you, all of that, when you come home again to yourself, that's when the, 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 the journey starts up again, the next chapter. And I always love, you know, I think it was Ethan Hawke who said, the best movies are those that the conversation begins when the lights turn on at the end. So wow. if you can challenge someone to think past their comfort zone outside of the perspective or the, you know, understandings that they've been raised with or understood over time, if you can start opening and crack the window just a little bit to have different kinds of conversations, my God, how magical is that? That is totally magical. And I think that's one of the reasons why I started Chats in the Blog Cabin is to learn not only because uh, it's happened out of COVID. I'll just, yeah. And so I miss that human interconnection, you know, yeah. and I missed being able to talk to people. And plus, too, it was during the time that a lot of controversy, the racial controversies were going on. And they're still going on in our country, but it was huge then. Huge. And um I wanted to have conversations with people so that I could see, hear their stories and that everybody can learn from each other because yeah. so many times we're so busy trying to get our point across that we're not sitting down and listening to what people are actually saying. And if one thing they say, get your back up, you turn off and you don't listen. And I've learned that you've got to be an active listener. You've got to sit there and you've got to listen to their point. Even if you don't agree with their point, that doesn't mean that you have to totally go, okay, that's, that's my way of thinking now. You don't have to do that. You just have to sit there and listen and give them a voice. Because when you start sh shutting people's voices down is when all this controversy comes up. Love it. I'm telling you, Melissa, right there, right there. What happened to us when we stand in our corners and turn our backs not engaging in conversation mm -hmm. we miss out on so much and the bottom line is it becomes an us versus them when it never had to be that mm -hmm. and hate and anger takes over the possibility of where love can grow now i'll tell you to your point i think this is fantastic you open this space up where people from all different backgrounds and 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 experiences come together and one of the greatest gifts i've learned from being a lawyer is that you listen first mm -hmm. you listen first you give the other person the opportunity to be heard it becomes a sacred space and both parties will protect that sacred space because i know many people who do not agree with me but i've always given mm -hmm. them the opportunity to share and i've done my best to seek to understand then be understood and I can't really, you know, if someone just says at that point where, you know, they don't give me that space back, you know, I, I'll detach with love because, you know, maybe they're not ready for the conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm not. And, and, and honestly, I've been changed. I changed the way I see things, you know, trying to be compassionate from where someone's standing to as their experience mm -hmm. and what they've gone through. If I don't ask the questions, I will never know. And I can't really engage from a world where, you know, Miami is a very different place for people who mm -hmm. live in the heartland. And I and New York is a different place. And, and you know, Tennessee is a different place. And But all the people that I've met from all different areas in this country and even internationally, I'm made better by knowing them as long as they come to the conversation from a place of love. So 
you know, that's my intention really, you know, to offer that space to others when I have them on my show. We don't necessarily agree 100%, but you know, that's the beauty of this country where this melting pot becomes the mm -hmm. American dream and how we all can support or collaborate with each other to actually find what that is and start asking questions so that we can move forward as a part of a solution rather than be a part of the problem. So well done, Melissa. And I love how you said melting pot, because if you looked at the intro, there was that one picture of my family. We're a melting pot. I <laughs> love it. Native of Mexico. You know, we have three Mexican-American girls, three daughters, strong, beautiful girls. And also my, my um, son-in-law is Asian. So we have a melting pot in our family. So coming and seeing, I think that's allowed me to see things from a minority point of view, not to say that I ever have been put in that spot. Yeah. But seeing what my daughters have experienced, like they're not white enough for their white friends and they're not Hispanic enough or Mexican enough for their Mexican friends and going through and seeing um, the when COVID hit, all the hate that was toward my son-in-law and all my Asian friends. I mean, oh. it was just like beyond me. I'm like, how can people be so, why can they not listen and learn and research the facts instead of right. just, they see something that's, they called it China flu and all of a sudden all Asians yeah. are bad. Yeah, I, I. You know, I do think fear is a component in that when people are terrified and uncertain and they really do believe that blame is going to help, <laughs> you know, blame somebody, you got to blame somebody, you know, the reality becomes what we're facing or what we have faced this last two years, you know, that doesn't help the solution toward the end of this pandemic. That wasn't something like mm -hmm. to like, you know, because of the color of their skin and because of how they show up in this world. I mean, I, 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 I will say this, I don't ever think that I was ever taught exclusion in my family. Mm -hmm. I was like inclusion. And I don't know, I get excited by diversity. I think it makes me a better yeah. person. I, I, and you know, in, in many respects, even being a prosecutor for DHS, you know, an immigration attorney, you know, that that wasn't really who I was because when I showed up, it was case by case, I let people be heard. And honestly, I did my job, but at the same time, there's a lot of discretion. And I was like, I really, really, you know, it's called it respect for the integrity of the human person. And uh, until I see otherwise, and even when people are angry, like I can see why people get pissed off that they get, you know, you know, cornered into a place where they're non a non-person, they're no mm -hmm. longer special. They're, you know, feeling that they're going to be a nothing because everyone else is moving on to maybe we're all more diversity you know, contemplate. Look, my my son um, applied to college just last year, and he is I'm Italian, but in Miami, if you're not Hispanic, it's you know you're not a minority, and you're not you're 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 competing with others, and you know that was really challenging. It wasn't based upon you know only his grades, but all these other stuff. So you know that comes up, but I can understand in in many respects that there needs to be more you know you know more what we as a country look like mm -hmm. wherever we go. So, you know, I understand that. I can tell you this. I really truly wish that we all try to put past our stereotypes or what we think mm -hmm. divides us to find out what it is that really unites us. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be commonalities. I know, Melissa, you and I come from different backgrounds. You know, certainly I don't have, you know, the 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 Mexican uh, culture in my family. I mean, I I my husband's Italian even, but I'll tell you this: 
you're amazing. And what you come to the world with gifts to share is amazing. And how stupid would I be if I precluded my mm -hmm. life from knowing that? So, you know, I think, you know, that's something to think about as we move forward. Don't let those who want control truly, you know, keep us from truly knowing each other based upon who we are. It's like, you know, the, the content of the character, I'll quote mm -hmm. MLK there, Junior, you know, judge me by the content of my character, not the color of my skin or where I'm from. So, you know, with that, I, I will say, you know, there's a lot of need for these kind of conversations in the world today. I think that if we all show up being an advocate for what we want to see in this world, be it, you know, mm -hmm. the American dream and what that means to all of us and how we want that to unfold. And, and, you know, we're all here together. <laughs> you know, We got to get along with each other for the most part. I think we all benefit, you know, we all benefit, take care of each other, take care of our world, you know, in light of everything. And, and it will make us better people in the end. Yes, that is so true. And unfortunately, our time is up. I cannot believe this has been such a great conversation. But Meg, you are welcome to come back anytime. Oh, thank you. And I would love for you to come back and talk about your experience as an immigration lawyer, because a lot of people think immigration, it's so easy. People shouldn't come here illegally because it's so easy to get into this country where it's yeah. not always. It's, easy. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you certainly that would be a pleasure as well. You know, I had 20 years under my belt. Um, I saw a lot of different experiences <laughs> in court, you know, um, I, I, I laugh because I will say this over time, you, as you grow and become mature as an adult, you understand that nothing is ever as it seems <laughs> and you need to like start asking the mm. questions so that is what i'm here to do now and how i show up now and i do support a lot of the immigration attorneys with a wellness now because that really is important the burnout mm. is real the burnout for all of us is real like you were saying the isolation oh my god i'm an extrovert i'm terrified sometimes to be in public because of the isolation for so long so I have to overcome that as well. And I think we can help each other come back into the world, making it what we want to see as far as a better place and, and where we literally help each other at the end. Yes. And I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your, your wonderful story with us. Thank you so much, Melissa. Tell people where they can find you at. So my books are available wherever books are sold. I had I have a web page as well that Melissa put up there. It's www.megnosro.com. Um, I can be found on all sorts of social media, face, Facebook, LinkedIn, also Instagram. I love pictures. Um, you know, wherever the creative arts are, I get excited about that because, you know, I, I've, I've, I put out to the universe that one day I'll have a Broadway show and maybe we'll all be singing about, you know, a time in our lives where there was so much angst, but at the time we overcame that and there's light again. So, you know, those are the, all the places, Twitter, I'm there as well. So if you want to, you know, reach out to me, message me, and, you know, if you're going through something as well, grief, you know, I, I have, I hopefully come to the table with the intention to be of service from that space, because I am incredibly grateful that I came out of a really dark place into the light again. And if I can be a light shining bright in any way, you know, that's the gift, right? That's the gift of the suffering and the pain. So while pain is the price we pay to be human, you know, the best thing we can do is, you know, turn it back around with the gifts that we learn and help someone else along. 
That is so true. And once again, Meg, I want to thank you for coming on. And guys, I will put in the show notes her book links, all the links where you can find her, as well as some of the organizations that she talked about, because I think it's important that we get involved and we start listening to each other. So on that note, be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting. Chats from the blog cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.